Thank you, everybody. What we are witnessing, of course, is uh, Biden's border crisis. If you want to think of it another way, it's disorder at the border by executive order. Jeremy, I think, um, well, I don't want to speak for him, but a lot of Americans are saying that, you know, the surges are happening under President Biden's watch after he reversed some previous policies. So does the administration take any accountability for what's happening? Who are the Americans? Well, I know you don't want to answer to him, but the former president just um, released a statement saying that uh, the Biden administration must act immediately to end the border nightmare that they have unleashed on our nation. Former President Trump? Yes. We don't take our advice or counsel from former President Trump. On we just heard from Jake Sullivan talking about on immigration, the need to have a consistent and continued message to communicate to migrants mm -hmm. that the border is closed right now. We saw Ambassador Jacobson. Mm -hmm. He says there has to be a message on the airwaves and in that region as well. If you want to send the message to migrants that the border is closed, shouldn't President Biden be the one who is clearly delivering that message? Well, he, he did do an interview with Univision about two weeks ago. Oh, yeah. I'm sure everybody amassing at the border saw an interview with Univision two weeks ago from Joe Biden. Welcome to another episode of the National Pulse podcast. I'm Raheem Kassam. Friday, March the 12th, the year of our Lord, 2021, broadcasting to you from a still lockdown Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. And those were the words of Jen Psaki, of course, a couple of Days ago, Jen Psaki was asked, well, shouldn't you be listening to President Trump? He has had experience talking about the border and doing something about the border crisis. A lot of Americans reflecting on social media that for the last couple of years, they haven't even had to worry about the border because Donald Trump took it seriously. And Jen Psaki, of course, goes, we're not going to take our advice from Donald Trump. You know, he's immoral. Well, in the last week since she said that, the amount of time that children are being detained at the border has gone up 38%. The number of people is reaching record highs, 110,000 people amassing at the border in the last week. A humanitarian crisis. The cartels benefiting, selling children to be used to get into the United States of America for 3200 dollars. So Jen Psaki can do her spicy little answer designed to elicit a Yas Queen slay from her fans on the internet. But what's clear right now is you heard from John Katko, by the way, New York Republican who voted to impeach Donald Trump. So not exactly MAGA, not exactly America first, but he gets it in the clip today. He says Biden's border crisis. What have I told you all, ladies and gentlemen, the last week? It has to be branded. And we did brand it last week, Biden's border crisis. And that is now echoing through Washington, D.C. It's because of this audience that even never-Trumpers like Catco are beginning to pay attention and recognize what is going on here. I have a wonderful guest in studio with me today. Peggy Grandy is the former executive assistant to President Ronald Reagan, joining us in studio, an old friend of mine. Peggy, you've worked with Nigel Farage. You worked with the Brexit Party. You're everywhere. You've been everywhere. You've worked with the Trump administration. I mean, you are probably as close to to MAGA royalty as it gets, I think. Welcome. 
I was waiting for the red carpet to roll out. Thank you, Ruben. I appreciate <laughs> now it so I, much. Now I feel bad. We need to get you a red Fanfare carpet and trumpeters. here. trumpeters, yes. <laughs> well, welcome. Um, first thoughts. i got to get your thoughts on what's going on at the border now. You know, 100,000 plus people and the administration regime, as I call it, not even being forthright about the numbers. CNN is having to really do some hard work, actually, for the first time in a long time to work their sources and get these numbers. And look, Credit to CNN where it's due. They did get those numbers. I happen to believe they're very conservative estimates, by the way. But they say at least 100,000 people amassing at the border in the last seven days. You're from that side of America, from California. How is it playing out there? Yeah, well, we know, and you said this is Biden's border crisis. He owns this from start to finish. We saw a stark contrast the moment he took office. The welcome mat was out, and everybody knew it. And the crisis that we have is a wave. It's a tsunami that is going to continue because it's not only the people already at the border. It is the people who have already left Guatemala or wherever they're coming from through Mexico that are still coming. And to your point earlier, they're not listening to Univision when Biden says, oh, turn around, we don't want you to come now. If they have left home, they're coming here. And so it is a catastrophic crisis that is only going to accelerate as the days and weeks go on. How out of touch and and really sneering must Jen Psaki be? I mean, that's how she comes across to most people anyway. But how much confidence must she have in her own flippancy to say well he gave an interview to univision two weeks ago surely all mexicans and guatemalans and colombians and venezuelans and ecuadorians surely they're all watching univision i mean that's actually kind of xenophobic a statement right well she's also saying they should listen to the president well they did listen to the president and the president told them to come and they have come in droves and they've come in numbers and they're not listening now when he's saying don't do it or don't do it now and so Jen Psaki is wanting two two results from the same response and they're already in motion they're already coming and Biden has got to change policies and change them immediately otherwise it is only going to continue yeah come on man (laughs) Um, I just love my buttons. I love pressing my buttons. I find any excuse to press the buttons. Oh, man. Um, I want to understand what it's like in, in California. I haven't been there in quite some time. I don't know what the political situation is like. I'm seeing all these millions of signatures going on to this recall petition uh, against Newsom out there. Is there something going on in California where people are getting tired of this stuff and actually want action taken against? Because if you told me two years ago that a, that a Democrat governor would, fa- would face a serious recall effort, I would have probably laughed you out of the studio. But it's happened. Yeah, it is. And it is happening. And I would say it's building on not only the national crises that are happening that are really hitting California hard. The same people who say we don't need a southern border, walls don't work, are the same people blocks from here have walls and razor wire up and over. People see the hypocrisy of that and they wonder why it's okay to protect some people, but it's not okay to protect them. And so California, we're very vulnerable there. We're getting the brunt of people coming across the border. We know that walls do work. We know that borders should be protected. And as much as people didn't necessarily embrace all of Trump's policies across California, that was a policy that we, it's one thing to say, oh, it's humanitarian to let them across. It's another thing when they're letting across into your neighborhood. And it's it's easy to be very insulated here and make policies that don't affect you. And so Californians have seen that at a federal level, but also what we're seeing at a state level is incompetence, it's mismanagement. And like we're seeing right now in Washington, 
It's a problem that the Democrats own. It has been a one-party state for decades, and every single problem and failure in California goes right back to the Democratic Party. People are seeing through it, finally, <laughs> when you have companies like HP, like Tesla, mm. like Disney leaving the state. These are not conservative companies. These <laughs> right. are not people that I have struggle been... <laughs> to feel sorry for them. <laughs> I know, and they have, they have voted for the very policies and politicians who have made California unlivable. We've taken in record taxes, and what do we see in California? crumbling infrastructure, failure at every level. And it comes down to mismanagement in Sacramento and a lack of transparency and accountability to the people. So to get to the point that 2 million people will put their names on a signature and say, we want to recall this governor, which ironically in California, they're going through the signature verification process. Mm. So you don't need a lot of ID or anything to verification. I thought we didn't do verification. We verify when you want to throw somebody out and I think we will meet that threshold. We will exceed that threshold, but I wouldn't put it past Sacramento to pull a stunt at the last minute. Um, We've seen this before. To sort of say, hey, we found all these signatures that are unverified. Perfect example. A couple years ago, the Cal 3 ballot initiative that went to California collected all the legal signatures, jumped through every hoop that was required by law, Mm. got to right before the ballots went to print, and the Secretary of State basically said, it's too big of a decision to leave to the California people, so we're going to pull it from the ballot. After it was legally wow. qualified, there was no reason other than, I Did think that it's too big a, a question. challenge or something? Well, it would have, but after the fact. And so then you would have right. to start the whole process again and you miss, miss the timing and the momentum. So I Well, that really I is chicanery, not, isn't it? Oh, it? Exactly. I mean, that is one party rule. And when right. there's nobody, you say, take it to the courts. Well, when the courts are run by the same people who are in bed with the people making the bad policy, it, it really is frightening. And California, I think, is the tip of the spear to where the nation is headed. And so if you like what you're seeing out of California, you're going to love what the Democrats have for you the next two years. Um, and well, I'm now. hoping we can tap the brakes by 2022 because what's happening is dangerous and it's not putting America or Americans first. Let me ask you about that then, 2022. You know, there's going to be a lot of arguments about who the candidates are and who the leadership is. And, and I think this audience is, is, and you can probably imagine what this audience believes about Kevin <laughs> McCarthy and Liz Cheney. So we don't even really need to get into, into those figures. Uh, but the figures that I am interested in are the kind of approval numbers coming out about the Biden regime so far. Um, people at least, I look at all polls because I don't trust any one and I try and develop an aggregate in my mind and, and I also go into the cross tabs and see how they've weighted certain things and then I, I develop a picture of how things are going. Americans, I find, are incredibly fair-minded. They want to give people a chance. They especially want to give their commander-in-chief a chance. I, I think that was reflected in ordinary polling that was done in the first couple of months of the Trump administration as well. You know, despite what you saw on CNN and read in the Atlantic magazine, actually ordinary people were like, well, you know, he's there now, so let's give him a chance. But this bloke has had 50 days now in in office. He has failed to answer any questions from the press. His COVID-19 strategy appears to be cribbing from the last guy. And, and trying to rewrite it as his own. I mean, yesterday, I don't know if you saw last night's speech. I listened to it as I always listen to things on two times speed now. 
get through so much more but you also get rid of these silly little breaks and pauses that they put in for effect and so it's all signal 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 and the only signal i heard from biden last night i don't know if you've ever seen the old british television show the demon headmaster but all i got it was it was kind of look into my eyes take the vaccine take the vaccine you must take the vaccine i need you to take the vaccine go and get the vaccine there's a vaccine center over there and there's a vaccine over here and take the vaccine and then if you take the vaccine Maybe I'll let you get together for Independence Day. Yeah, maybe, just maybe, if you're good. And, but if you're not good, and if you don't follow what I've demanded for you to do, then we're going to start putting back, back the rules. Mm. I, I mean, it was the most patronizing, insulting, and dark message for America at a time when we need to be incentivizing people to come to the other side of this. But perhaps it's a crisis that they don't want to go to go away. And that's what we see. What very do you mean? But that is a very loaded statement. What do you mean by that? Well, it's worked very much to their advantage. And to the credit of the left, they had a playbook ready to go and were waiting for the crisis to press start. And they've had all this planned, I would believe, for a very long time and just never thought that something would come along in the gift of a pandemic that would allow them to accomplish so much in a very short period of time. And we, the American people, have given up great amounts of liberty and freedom under the guise of safety and health. And we know that once we give up liberties and freedoms, they don't come back easily, if ever. Mm. And nor can we ever be guaranteed safety, security, and health. And so we have surrendered those liberties, and we are going to have to fight tooth and nail to get them back. The same people who say follow the science, follow the data, believe us, are the same ones saying, but don't look at the science if it tells us to open the schools, and don't look at the science if it tells us that the pandemic is going away. And so I would be very leery (laughs) of people who are saying that. (laughs) Don't look at the science if it doesn't tell you, if it tells you masks aren't working. Right. Right. Even if theoretically, which I I, I believe theoretically masks Mm -hmm. could work, right? If you have the right kind of layer and the right materials and you form a full seal around your face that theoretically it works but all of the data is showing us that actually places without mask mandates are are just as fine as or or, or on the same track as or even better than places with firm mask mandates and i remember fauci at the very beginning of all of this saying ah you don't need masks they don't really do anything they're just there to reassure people and actually i think he was telling the truth then right whereas now like you say because this has worked out quite well for the Democrats, and for sure, there is blame to be put on the side of some folks in the Trump White House who weren't keen to kind of address this quickly. Uh, Peter Navarro was on it from day one, of course, and there were other people on it from day one, but there were some people who wanted to drag their heels about it. I think they did Trump and the country a massive disservice, but we were on it. You know, we launched the War and Pandemic show on January, I think, 23rd of last year, mm-hmm. and we were it was a toss-up for us, Peggy. It was, do we call it War and Pandemic or War Room Contagion? And I made the case in very late night in the studio with Steve. I said, well, it's technically going to be called a pandemic at some point. And he said, you think it's going to be called a pandemic? I said, I think it's going to be called a pandemic. Mm-hmm. Sure enough, it was declared a pandemic. Now, there's a, there's blame to be apportioned, right? But at the same time, as you say, it's worked out really well. And that's why Fauci went off on this massive, massive, I, I was going to say PR campaign. It's just a lie campaign. It's a lie upon lie upon lie campaign. And I think despite, I mean, if we walk down these Capitol Hill streets together, you'll see little signs in the um, 
in the ground that say thank you Fauci on them. And I actually want to get uh, I want to get some marker pen and change thank to a word that I can't say on this uh, <laughs> show. But they're right next to the signs that say tear down this wall. It's almost as if these people don't understand what's going on. I'm not saying people who live on Capitol Hill are dumb, but people who live on Capitol Hill are dumb. <laughs> They're dumb. You, you talk about Wall's work, by the way. How many, how many illegal trespassers have gotten past this wall on Capitol Hill? Zero. Right. And yet they don't want to do that with the American border. Right. I want to ask you this. How stunning is it to you to see this razor wire and these fences here on Capitol Hill? It's shocking and it's offensive. It, it puts a literal divide between those who represent me and me. And it's visible, it's shocking, and the razor wire as the added just insult um, it, it really was disturbing. And I hadn't seen <laughs> you know it. It, it went up after I left town yeah. for the most part. And to come back into town and see it, I, I take great offense to it. That's our capital. That's not their capital. And it's they not, are there because we have given them the power, the authority to be there. It's not theirs. That's a really incredible point that you make there because Nancy Pelosi does treat that whole mm-hmm area as her playground mm-hmm. her private playground and, and if walls don't work why do they have that up right. to protect them right why do i not have the well, right to and be troops protected as and well? troops yeah. Yeah. you know more troops here than there are on the u.s southern border absolutely and you know ronald reagan always said the beauty of our democracy was that we the people tell the government what to do not the other way around and we have a whole group of people right now who think it is their place and their right to tell we the people what to do they think that it's all about what they think what they want what they are demanding us to do i mean biden said it last night when he said basically trust the government mm. we will tell you what to do I don't trust a government who tells right. me that they need to tell there me are, what to there do. There are a lot of Reagan quotes that apply, yes, right? Yes, yes. Right it's really moment. scary times because I think the average person who typically would have pushed back and said, oh, I'm not going to surrender liberty so easily, they have really played into the fear. Now, I'm not saying that this wasn't an actual pandemic because it is. I mean, we see deaths happening sure. all over. There were definitely the vulnerable. Sure. but well, you know, The I, vulnerable that the Democrats killed, right. put into nursing homes and killed. Let's be clear. That was definitely a part of it. And again, they weren't listening to their own science that they were telling the rest of us to listen to. But another Reagan quote that I think is so beautiful and fits for the time is one of his last speeches he gave to us in 1992 at the Houston National Convention. He said, whatever else history may say about me when I'm gone, may it recall that I appeal to your best hopes, not to your worst fears, and to your confidence rather than your doubts. And that's what great leadership looks like. People who appeal to our confidence and to our best hopes. And what we see now is people appealing to our fear and to our doubt and saying, trust me, follow me, instead of what governors like Christy Nome have done and said, I'm going to give my people the information and trust them to do what's right. What Texas is doing in repealing the mask mandate. They're not saying nobody in Texas can wear a mask, but we're not going to, from the state level, 
dictate that you have to. Obviously, Rick DeSantis in Florida has been a great leader in that. And so let's trust the people. Let's appeal to their best hopes and to their confidence. And if the Biden administration wants people to get the vaccine, how about incentivizing people and not saying, well, if you do this, we may, mother, may I give you permission to see a few friends and grandma, but if you don't, we're going to repeal it. It's the concept of positive liberty versus negative liberty. Absolutely. And, this and is, what are we incentivizing? Right. And we see it, whether it's the border, whether it's the vaccine, we're incentivizing the wrong things. And so how do we hold to account people who will incentivize the things that are best for America and for the American people? My guest is Peggy Grandy. She's the author of The President Will See You Now. You can get that at PeggyGrandy.com, PeggyGrandy.com forward slash book. It's also available on all of the other places, Amazons. I know you, the audience doesn't like Amazon, nor do I, uh, but all sorts of other places you can get it on uh, on audiobook as well, I think. It is. I read the book, audiobook, oh, ebook, hardback, paperback. Wonderful, wonderful. Now that I, I mean, I've got the book and I've read the book, but maybe I'll get it on audiobook just to have. And I'll read to, it to, to you. Yeah, exactly. Just to <laughs> have have you reading it to me, um, Peggy. I uh, I want to come back to this this wall, this fence, this razor wire for a moment because I I, th- I think I agree with you that it's offensive, but it's also I think it's not designed to repel an attack. We heard from a bunch of senators. I don't know if you saw it today. There was a letter from some quite mainstream, like Marco Rubio and and some others. You know, these aren't sort of tub-thumping MAGA types, right? They wrote a letter to Yogananda Pittman, Biden donor, new chief of Capitol Hill police, saying, you haven't shown us any critical evidence of any impending threat And we are the senators behind this wall right now. I think that's quite stunning. I think that really, I mean, I don't know if you know how much this has cost so far. $540 million to have this fence and these troops stationed here. And it's not to protect politicians. It's to protect a party. It's a political party that's behind this. And I know that there are Republicans who are in favor of this as well, but I would argue that they are in the uniparty with those Democrats at the same time. So it's not just offensive because of how it looks. It's offensive because of how much it's costing the American public at a time when the American public is being told, you may not go out and work, but we still expect you to pick up the tab to to, to have all of this up here. And the other part of it is it's actually so ridiculous because... There's a fence. For, okay, there are bollards on the street. They're always there, right? And they can be raised if there are any issues. And they're all, they've been there for decades, and they work. And they get so you have those. Then you have the troops in front of those bollards. Then you have the metal fence. Then you have the razor wire on top. Then you actually have external bollards, which are just the normal street bollards that are always there, and those are designed to prevent vehicle attacks or anything like that. And then just the little icing on the cake here is that around those outer bollards, um, I'm I'm probably using a phrase that Americans don't use. What do you call bollards? Those those that's correct. You can use them. (laughs) Okay, fine. It just sounds very English, doesn't it? Bollard. The way you. Yeah. <laughs> bollard it's a bollard um they've tied a little bit of yellow ribbon around them all around the capital complex you know because that yellow ribbon is really that's that's, that's the, the first deterrent. line of defense yeah. right and, <laughs> caution that, tape. and that's how ridiculous it is because yeah. the caution tape isn't there to do anything the caution tape is there to be a big yellow thing to instill fear 
I genuinely believe that that wall, that fence, this activity is not here to repel an attack. It's here to lure an attack. Mm -hmm. What it's trying to do is make people hate it and make people radicalized so much that somebody actually tries to do something. And then Yogananda Pittman can turn around and go, aha, you know, see, we were so smart to have this wall up, which is, which is something that I think the audience needs to understand. The establishment always knows how to push your buttons. They always know how to kind of just needle you enough the radicalization process isn't something that happens overnight it's not something that happens on the ellipse and then people come running across capitol hill building pipe bombs along the way you know like they said what happened to tr- with trump on on january the 6th that narrative all fell apart but what they're trying to do is very slowly radicalize a generation of americans it brings me on to my point here and i know i talk a lot <laughs> so feel free to jump in whenever Rolling Stone magazine, I actually bought it off eBay. Rolling Stone magazine, in I think 2003, had a front cover that said, Worst Congress Ever. And it even had a picture of a congressman chasing a little boy around Mm -hmm. to suggest things, right? That was Rolling Stone Mm -hmm. magazine. Mm -hmm. And from that point on, I'd, I'd seen the same kind of coverage in Reuters, in Newsweek, on CNN. Worst Congress ever, worst Congress ever, worst Congress ever. So let me ask you the question. Do you think it was President Trump who radicalized people on January the 6th? Or do you think there's actually been a campaign in the mass media that we need to take a deeper dive and look into that has radicalized people against their representatives? Yeah, I think what we're seeing in the post-Trump Biden era now is they are trying to push people to fulfill the prophecy that they have laid out and labeling anybody who voted for President Trump as basically a domestic terrorist and in, in painting them into with the same broad brush strokes as people who are true domestic terrorists, but trying to equate anybody who happened to maybe attend the president's speech over at the White House lawn that morning with the same people who actually broke into the the house chambers. Mm -hmm. They're trying to group all of those people together and they're trying to make you feel like you're guilty, guilty by association. And they've been doing this all along. And you see this now, especially under Biden, when they feel very free to say exactly what they want, talking about deprogramming kids and silencing people. And they want you to feel like you're the crazy one because Mm -hmm. they know that there is power in numbers and there's no strength when we're divided. And so trying to divide people, trying to make people feel like they must really be the outlier because if you're not a domestic terrorist, then you must be aligned with us. It's, it's been happening to your point all along. I mean, we saw the last four years, it drove the left insane that anybody would support Donald Trump. And yet they never wanted to learn the lessons of why. I don't think they ever stopped to talk to a Trump supporter to understand what drew people to President Trump's message to be able to look at him and sometimes maybe separate the style from the substance or the personality from the politics. I mean, the Trump agenda changed America in wonderful ways across every demographic. It changed the world stage, you know, brought peace to the Middle East. It reset with China and not using a plastic button, but actually making fundamental reset with China. 
We saw domestically the opportunity zones that work, the lowest unemployment rate, the decrease in taxes. And the part that they really weren't talking about was the decrease in regulations, which allowed businesses to once again thrive and grow and expand um, without the onerous burden of government regulation. And so the things that he did worked. People loved that. That resonated with him. And all the left could talk about was the personality, the tweets, and they never got below the surface to see the substance that was there and the substance that really resonated with Americans all across this nation and why they were so loyal to him. It was because they were loyal to his policies. If you go back to his um, inaugural speech and I'm kind of crazy because I actually go back and listen to it every now and then because it's so inspiring. And I know a lot of people thought it was so explosive. It was explosive because it was indicting the very people that were standing or sitting behind him on the dais that day. But he said, I've come to Washington to do exactly what politicians should do, and that's return the power to the people. And very Reagan-esque in that particular quote. And of course, People hated him for it, and he exposed the fact it wasn't about left and right. It was about the powerful and the powerless. And what's happening right now in Washington is a disgrace because the powerful are flexing their muscles and reminding the powerless how powerless they are. And they're doing it visibly with this wall. They're doing it by opening the borders, saying, we don't care about your business, about the economy. We don't care that 25% of the people that are coming into your your community have covid Possibly. We don't care about any of that. We don't care about not knowing who's coming in because we're the powerful. It serves our benefit and you're the powerless. So complain all you want, but it's not going to change. And it is going to have to change, though, because even the left is not going to be able to justify, especially this crisis at the border. This American carnage stops right here and stops right now. That was my favorite moment from mm-hmm. the uh, from the inaugural inaugural address, and it it kind of plays into well just about everything we're seeing now. We're back to carnage. There's carnage on the border. There's carnage on Capitol Hill. There's carnage uh, in 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 the American debt levels and borrowing levels. There's carnage against the American family. There's carnage in women's sports. Mm-hmm. You know, there's carnage all over the place. And why? Why? I want to understand from you. Just tell, just tell our audience. I've got three more sort of topics for us to cover. One is 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 you, and and where you've worked and what you've done. Um, and the other is, of course, what it was like working for President Reagan. And of course, I've got to ask you because I know you're an Anglophile. I've got to ask you about Markle and and Harry and all of that. And I know my audience just just collectively groaned because I bang on about this <laughs> subject. But I will do a full episode on this in my own time, explaining to the audience why it matters to traditionalists and why it should matter to conservatives in America as it matters to conservatives in the United Kingdom. But I want to understand why do you think we're seeing such levels of carnage across the board right now? I think it's lack of respect for the American people, not believing that their voice matters or not trusting them to make good decisions. You know, something simple like the catastrophically disastrous relief package. What about somebody coming out and saying, you know, it sounds tempting because you might get a $1,400 check, but let me tell you what this is going to cost you over the course of your lifetime and your kids and your grandkids. And let me tell you what the final bill on that is going to be. And you may get $1,400, somebody you know may get $1,400, you may not. 
But this either way is what you're going to have to pay. And they're afraid to straight talk with the American people. They don't trust them. They don't believe that they know what's best. They think they know what's best. And so when you are from a starting point of distrust of not respecting the American people, then it's going to be really hard to elicit their loyalty. And I think over the long term, we're already seeing it. We're seeing the fallout even from some on the left. When you don't give loyalty and trust first, you're not going to get it. So Peggy, you worked, I think, at the side of um, President Reagan for t- 10 years. I did. Was that... What else, I mean, what have you? What were you most recently doing? And let me ask you this. I mean, I think there'll be a lot of people listening to this going, hold on a minute, why don't you have a radio show? <laughs> I'm on yours. <laughs> no, but I mean, you're fantastic at this. And you have the voice for it and you know all the issues. You came in the room saying, oh, I don't really know much about that stuff. You, <laughs> so what are we going to talk you've about? You've <laughs> bested me so far. They're going to want They're going to want the National Pulse podcast hosted by Peggy Grandy, not Raheem Kassam. Well, team, how's that? Fine, done. <laughs> Terrific. Yeah, um, I had the honor and the opportunity of a lifetime to work for President Ronald Reagan. I started with working with him as a college student. Mm. He had just left the White House. He returned to Los Angeles where I was in school. I wrote a letter back in the day to the office of Ronald Reagan asking for an opportunity to work there. I was hired to work as an intern for about three months. And then when I graduated from college, they offered me a full-time staff position. So I served as the executive assistant to the chief of staff in a team of about 10 of us that worked in the former president's office. And then a few years in, Ronald Reagan's longtime executive assistant he had had since before he was governor retired. And they asked me to take that job. And so you don't say no to a job opportunity like that. But I was uh, six months pregnant with my first baby. Wasn't quite sure how I was going to navigate all that. But from 1989, when he left office to 1999, when he left the public eye, I served as his executive assistant. I got married. I had three of my four children and just had a front row seat to history and to watch this man interact with everybody from everyday Americans to world leaders. It it changed my life forever. And it changed my perspective of what leadership looks like. I guess as a young person, I thought you had to choose one of two paths. Am I going to be strong and successful or am I going to be a kind, good person? And in Ronald Reagan, we saw somebody who was strong enough to go toe to toe with the Soviet Union and the wall came down. But also behind that was this warm, wonderful, charismatic, very genuine person. So he really changed my mindset of what leadership at the top could really look like. And then even the next five years, so he announces to the American people of five years post-presidency that he has Alzheimer's. And as the world is saying goodbye to him, I'm still saying good morning to him every day for the next five years. And what a great example of somebody who didn't take a diagnosis as a death sentence, but chose to live as much of life as best as he could, as long as he could. Um, He left the public eye in the fall of 1999 and I'm, and then lived for another five years. And I was always grateful to Mrs. Reagan for having a very open door policy. So I continued to see him just personally those last five years of his life. Um, I write in my book about my last visit with him at his bedside just a couple months before he died. And what incredible people to have known him for 15 years. Mrs. Reagan, I stayed close with her until her passing in 2016. So 27 years of my life starting in college to be alongside these people and to look what true public service really looks like. These were people who loved America, loved Americans of all kinds. And whether the president was meeting with an ordinary American or head of state, the way he treated people with respect and gratitude for their time was very inspiring. I'm not going to pretend that President Trump was that way, but I think 
certainly the engagements I've had with him and seen him engaging with other people, there was certainly a kindness that that never got reported, that no, never got reflected. And I think that was kind of Reagan's influence on him, mm-hmm. you know, is, is actually sh- that, that, that warmth. And the pictures that you can find online of President Trump hugging people and embracing people and listening attentively mm-hmm. to them. Uh, I see that. And it, but again, I think, I think we're getting, you know, but we're he's getting... an entertainer. So don't you right. think that a lot of the persona that the public saw right. was because he was an entertainer and that's what he wanted them to see. And, and I think he, yeah, people he wanted to keep people on their because, toes. Yes, and... Because I saw that same side behind the scenes. In yes. fact, I got to attend a rally with him in Tupelo, Mississippi, of mm. all things, um, back during the campaign pre-COVID. So mm. lots of people <laughs> packed into a little arena. But I captured a moment and I wrote a piece about it. He, I was right by where he was exiting the stage and right behind me was a World War II veteran mm-hmm. who had a, hat, a baseball hat on that said World War II vet. And I watched the president at the end of, you know, he speaks for 90 minutes right. in, in this whole crowd and he's walking, he's one step away from being off stage. How easy it would have been for him to continue off stage. And out of the corner of his eye, he catches this man in this baseball hat, elderly in a wheelchair, clearly nearing the end of his his Mm -hmm. days on earth and president trump out of the corner of his eye sees him stops turns toward him and raises his hand to salute him and mouths thank you and turns and walks off stage and i thought what a beautiful moment that so many people don't see and that's why i wrote about it. it i mean it brought tears to my eyes that here was this man in this loud wild crazy arena who saw people and i think to your point, it was very Reagan-esque in the sense mm. that he did have a capacity to see people. That's why he rose the way he did in 2016. Because Barack Obama had told the nation, you're better off than you were four years ago. The economy is improving. I brought jobs back. Everything is good. Don't pay attention to the numbers because it's all good. Mm. And the American people looked around and said, well, I'm not doing better. And my neighbors are not doing better and yeah. I don't really know anybody who's thriving. So there was a disconnect between the messaging coming and reality. Mm. And Donald Trump came and said, I see that you've gotten the short end of the stick. I right. see that you're not actually living up to what they're telling you. I see that and I'm going to fix that on your behalf. And he was very true and loyal to that. He saw the average American and reached out using his power to help the powerless. And that's actually what real leadership looks like. And he's a builder. I mean, not just Absolutely. literally a builder, mm-hmm. but but he understood when Obama said things like, you didn't build that, mm-hmm. that actually the American public did build yeah. all the institutions and, look how and he all made of their his communities. Money. It was working with plumbers and right. concrete layers and electricians and your blue-collar, hard-working backbone of America people. Likewise, Ronald Reagan came from the heartland of right. central Illinois, small-town, poor family, alcoholic father, no chance to have the American dream, right? right? But he never forgot that, and he never lost sight of that, and he never saw small-town America as something he needed to overcome. He saw that as a very foundation for everything he ultimately would become and he never lost that part of him he left the midwest but the midwest never left him and so likewise i think donald trump probably had seared in his image in his mind those images of those hard-working people in his buildings and in his hotels and truly had respect for them and probably enjoyed his conversations with them a lot more than he did a lot of his political um, glad handing he had to do 
Peggy, I, I want to make sure that we uh, we we plug the book because it's so great. Mm, thank you. It's called "The President Will See You Now." Was that the most common phrase you would say in your day to day? The president will see you now. It was. <laughs> and um, you can find it at Peggy Grandy. That's p e g g y g r a n d e dot com. I will also link it in the description on this podcast on my brand new Telegram as well so there is now a national pulse telegram page there is a raheem kassam telegram page we're building everything and i need you all to be lumping in there and being part of the conversation and and sharing news because i guarantee you we are seconds away i really do believe we are not far away at all from a full full twitter embargo a full suspension of my account they've done it to me twice in the last week i can't believe they haven't suspended you yet, well Raheem. that's it no but they're playing a game here yes, right and it's yes. and it's it's very clearly leading up to something so if i can talk real quickly about Please. my book just yes. um to go back to that it's not a political book it's right. not about policy it's really a character sketch and what i tried to do in the book was to put on glasses and be the lens through which you got to see him the way i saw him to see the ordinary americans that he interacted with to see the world leaders come through to watch him walk through a very dark and difficult period in his life and how he did so with transparency and truth to the American people and how really he brought a lot of research dollars and took away a lot of the shame and the stigma that was connected to Alzheimer's. And so it, it's really a character sketch. And for anybody who's ever wondered, I wonder what he was really like, this tells that. And there will be no surprise that what you thought and hoped that he was, was exactly who he was behind the scenes. And when the cameras weren't rolling, when nobody was watching, I was always watching. And so this is the Ronald Reagan that I saw. I can't recommend it enough. Um, ladies and gentlemen, make sure you uh, you check it out and, and um, make sure you follow Peggy. What, are you on, you're on Twitter? I'm still on Twitter. Right? Yeah. And that's just at Peggy Grandy or Peggy, Peggy underscore, underscore Grandy. Grandy, mm -hmm. yeah. And I'm also on Instagram. Instagram and all LinkedIn. the rest. <laughs> Find me anywhere. <laughs> so now is Facebook. when most people are going to turn this podcast off because I'm going to start talking about the Markles. Oh, oh dear. And, and <laughs> Can I, I opt out too? <laughs> yeah, you could leave. I'll just, I'll answer for you. <laughs> okay. Um, very quickly. I mean, we've got mm -hmm. literally like two minutes. So just very quickly. I mean, you've, you've been over to the UK. You're a massive Anglophile. You see how our constitution works. I'm sure like me, you, you revere and respect the Queen's service over the mm -hmm. decades and in, in holding the country together. When, when, when her husband is in hospital mm -hmm. and and you know she's she's unfortunately at the tail end of her her mm -hmm. reign how heartless does somebody from your side of the world california have to be to to put the family through something like that well clearly the family was not their first thought right or any thought right. um and it i see it as being part of this continuum what are the institutions the figurative institutions we're trying to tear down, the family, the monarchy, anything that ties us to the history, to our past, anything, and to that, God. anything that we would be proud of, perhaps, they want to tear down. And so if you take away somebody's history, it changes the future. And I look at, even with our military, if you're not proud of what our country is and who we stand for and who we align ourselves with on the world stage, why on earth would you ever go and fight for something mm. that you think is flawed and that was terrible from the beginning and that we need to erase and disown? And so I worry about what this does to the future, not just right now, 
looking at what we're doing now to destroy it, but it's all part of one continuum. Destroy things that brought us to the place that we are. Apologize for things that you know, we're in the past and times were different and continue to tear down the institutions that have made us who we are. I think that's bang on the money and I've, I've, I've not said it as well myself and you must take this hosting job away from me because you are much better than me at it. Peggy Grandy. I'll come back anytime. You've got to come back soon. Thank you so much for joining us here today. Thank you, Raheem. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to make sure that you are checking out thenationalpulse.com. We have a host of great stories up there right now, including an exclusive on Marjorie Taylor Greene's full immigration moratorium bill. We've been doing the deep dive and digging into Governor Abbott since his baseless smears against Gab, free speech platform. Turns out that Governor Abbott happily works with Chinese Communist Party members, but wants an American company that encourages free speech banned in his state. What is he playing at? We have the latest on the Wuhan lab. Even the Washington Post now confirming our reporting from one year ago. And we've got a whole host of great stuff coming this weekend as well. Thomas Farnan has an incredible piece about the QAnon lie and how the media continues to peddle blue-anon conspiracy theories, quite frankly. There is so much going on in the world right now, and I'm so grateful that you take the time to listen to us here at The National Pulse. Head on over to thenationalpulse.com forward slash support if you value our work. We take no money from millionaires. We take no money from billionaires. We are people-powered, and you are the people. I want you to all have as great a weekend as Joe Biden lets you. And we'll see you again next week.